and welcome back to the beyond the peloton podcast i'm your host spencer martin this week we are talking about the tour de france which kicks off tomorrow june 26th on saturday uh there's we're going to talk about the gc competition who are the favorites for that uh Tade pogachar and primoz roglic spoiler alert are probably going to win the race one of those two we'll also get into the green jersey battle and how that might affect the GC battle and where things, where traps could lie for a couple of these contenders. But first, let's welcome our first ever sponsor of the podcast, Idahoan Foods. You can enjoy 30% off any order at shop.idahoan.com during this Tour de France by entering the discount code BTP30 at checkout. And if you want more, you can use BTP30, still receive that 30% off, but also free shipping on your first subscription order, 15% off and free shipping every order after that. You can mix and match your favorite 100% real Idahoan potato products and receive free shipping on any order over $55. The products are all naturally gluten-free. Idahoans 100% real Idaho potatoes are fresh dried to make prep easy and done within minutes. This is key if you have kids. If you're listening to this and you have kids, you, you got to go to this. You got to go to shop.idahoan.com right now. This is a this is a cheat code that I'm giving you. And this is super interesting. The Journal of Applied Physiology did a study in 2019 that concluded that eating potatoes during prolonged cycling is an effective is as effective as commercial carbohydrate gels to support exercise performance. That's also that that's pretty pretty fascinating because a lot of these gels and bars are not that tasty. Furthermore, potatoes are a promising savory alternative for athletes because they are a cost-effective nutrient-dense whole food source of carbs compared to the overly sweet carbohydrate gels. So go to a store, your closest store, run to your closest store, any store, and they will have these products. Well, I don't guarantee that, maybe not like an auto body shop. But if you don't want to run to a store, you can shop online at shop.idahoan.com. And remember, use that code BTP30 during the tour to get your 30% off. But back to the racing. Uh, the tour starts tomorrow in Breton. Bretigny is a big, big cycling heartland in France. It's up kind of the north. The, it's the Pacific. It's the Atlantic Northwest region of France. I'm, I'm sure no one refers to it as that, but I do. The reason this is notable is because uh, Brittany is Brittany is hard racing. It's not. There's no mountains. It kind of looks easy if you just look at the profile. But the, the weather is quite bad because it kind of juts out into the Atlantic. It can be cold. It can be rainy. It's very hilly, very windy. So a lot can go wrong in Brittany. Um, and that's why it's notable that the tour is starting here. And it starts off with two pretty tough stages. Uh, Saturday finishes with a three kilometer, 5% climb. I mean, that's not a summit finish, but that is hard. That's not a sprinter's day. Um, that will be somewhat of a GC day. And Sunday is even harder. It's the Mou de Breton. That is a tough climb and it is 2K long. At 2K long, they say 7% average. That's a little deceptive. Uh, as as Lantern Rouge says, that's a fake news climb because it is steep, steep, steep in parts. That will also be a GC day somewhat. And the key thing is the three kilometer rule will not apply on these two stages, um, which, is, which is really crazy, which could, I love, I hate the 3K rule. I think racing is racing. It could borderline rule the race, ruin the race because people that are going to be crashing and the racing's going to be crazy. If you remember that opening stage in Nice last year, that was bananas, but it was saved because of the 3K rule. All those guys crashed, but the race was somewhat neutralized and everyone got the same time. It will the, the same courtesy will not be extended in, in Breton. They do not mess around up there. There is no 3K rule. This is live racing, like live gaps, and there will be gaps coming out of this weekend. We don't get the first sprint stage until Monday on stage three, uh, which is almost borderline not at sprint stage. There's there's a bit of a climb towards the end, and it like descends into the finish. So 
this is not an easy an easy start to the race, which is great. And then Tuesday is more traditional sprint. And then, but then Wednesday, stage five is a time trial. We have a 27K long time trial. So we're going to have big GC caps just in those, these first five days. And if we look at the forecast for, for Brust, where the race starts tomorrow, it is rainy. It's rainy Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So this could be pretty, pretty wild racing for, for the GC contenders, which let's get into that really quick. I just sent out a newsletter today kind of breaking down who's going to win this race. I think this is a two, two-man two race, essentially. It's Tadej Pogacar and Primoz Roglic, the one-two last year. Um, I'm sure everyone remembers last year. Pogacar beats Roglic on stage 20 in dramatic fashion, pulling him back on that uh, final time trial or only time trial. I think we're going to get the same. They, they are just so good. They're the best riders hands down. I mean, I guess I'd say best stage racers, but they even win a lot of the, the one-day races because uh, Liege-Bastogne-Liege, a one-day monument. Primoz Roglic won it in 2020. Tadej Bogacar won it in 2021. I mean, these are legit riders. These are not just you know, GC Grand Tour specialists. They are very good riders. I think Tadej Pogacar, kind of a controversial statement, I think he's the best rider currently um, in the world because he can ride the one-days. He can race the one-days and win them, and then he can win Grand Tours. I mean, you can say what you want about Matthew Vanderpool and Moot Van Aert. I think Wu Van Aert could win Grand Tours if he wanted, but uh, to, to, to date, they have not proven that they can do that. And in fact, in, in Grand Tours that Roglic and Pogacar have participated in, in the last three seasons, uh, they, the last time anyone beat one of them was 2019, which was, which, who was Richard Carapaz at the 2019 Giro d'Italia. These guys are legit. They are so much better. I put uh, total victories, top tens, and podiums in the last three years. Stack them up with the other, uh, the Ineos quad, Quadrant, uh, the four leaders they're sending, Richard Carapaz, Theo Gegenhart, Richie Port, Garrett Thomas. And it's, it's, it's comical how much better they are. Um, it, they, they are hands down better. And what's interesting is they haven't participated in, in any of these warm-up races. So Ineos has been dominating these warm-up races. Uh, in years past, you'd say, well, they're, they're marching towards tour domination. Uh, no, because Roglic and Pogacar are off training, doing their own thing. And it kind of builds this nice tension where it's, it's this excitement where we don't really exactly know how they're going to be at the tour. My guess is they're going to come out absolutely flying. I think Pogacar's decision to do Tour Slovenia was a little weird. Probably not the best um, preparation, as I touched on last week. It was kind of a low-altitude race. Uh, not exactly where you want to be two weeks before a Grand Tour, but uh, he's so good it might not matter. And then outside of those, those two guys... I think uh, Rich, Richard Carapaz is my third favorite. His odds are, and for the betting odds on BetMGM, Pogacar's at a plus 150, Roglic is at plus 200. That's still really good prices on those guys. For You can lay off, you can lay money on them, so you win no matter who wins. Um, and that's what I've done with a little bit of Carapaz hedge. And Carapaz is at plus 700. Richie Port is at plus 2,500, which is a kind of an interesting option. He's never won a Grand Tour. He's 36 years old. Uh, that's not good stats, but he, could, he did get third last year. He kind of proved he's best of the rest. He won uh, Criterium du Dauphiné. So on paper, he's a, he's a good pick. And then you have Julien Alaphilippe at plus 3,300 and then Moot Van Aert at plus 6,600. Those are kind of the only guys I think could really win this race um, with, with a heavy, heavy, heavy bias on the first two, uh, Pogacar and Roglic. I would say don't get drawn into any type of conversation that is talking about Garant Thomas, Rigoberto Aron. Miguel Angel Lopez, Teo Gegenhardt. I mean, this is just like Wilco Kelderman. Like, what are we doing, guys? Like, these, these guys never win Grand Tours. They're not going to start now. You don't start winning Grand Tours at the hardest 
and most stacked race of the year. It's kind of simple logic. Uh, Alaphilippe might be kind of a wild card in there, but uh, I, ne- I never bought the Ala Believer season in 2019 when he was ripping off stage wins at the tour and everyone thought he could win. I didn't think he had what it took. Um, I was pretty adamant he'd never win a Grand Tour. But at the time, I just thought, well, he does not have what it takes to stay with the best on uh, long alpine climbs. But since then, he has gotten a lot better, especially what stuck out to me was the Tour of Switzerland, this recent Tour of Suisse, where he would have gotten third if he would have stayed in the race. He left to attend the birth of his first child, but he was climbing and time trialing incredibly well, uh, which is not what he's done in the past. And kind of key for Alaphilippe is this is a descent heavy tour. It's a descent and time trial heavy tour. Um, And apparently he's like a world-class, or at least among GC riders, like a world-class time trialist now. And he's an incredible descender. So he's he's not going to win, but as an outside pick, um, not not a crazy idea that he could somehow pull off a miracle and win this. And then Richie Port, just because uh, the facts look kind of good for him. Uh, He was great last year. He got third overall. He's never going to beat Roglic and Pogacar straight up. Uh, a Richie Port win would arise when something crazy happens. Uh, those guys crash out. Those guys are caught, uh, caught up in crosswinds, and Ineos can use their numbers advantage to break up the race, but that's not so simple. I'll get into that in a second. Or uh, they get caught doping. That doesn't really happen anymore. You don't really see leaders pulled out of races anymore. I don't think that's happened since, God, maybe 2007 with uh, Michael Rasmussen when he was winning the tour and then got pulled out before the finish. And then kind of my wild, my wild of wild cards is Woot Van Aert. Uh, back after Torino Adriatico, I thought he could win this thing. Um, I kind of got accused of clickbaity stuff saying that he could win the tour, but I, I really thought, I mean, he's the, he got second at World Time Trial Championship, so he's literally a world-class time trialist. Only Filippo Ghana's better than him, and he can climb. The kid can climb. Um, he was climbing. He was dropping Garant Thomas. And uh, Egan Bernal at Torino Adriatico, uh, two pretty dang good climbers. And he's a better time trial than both, time trialist than both of them. Um, the only thing about him, and he's a great descender, great descender. This route is actually perfect for him. There's only really two or three summit finishes, a bunch of tough uphill finishes, which are great for him. He could stack up time bonuses there and time trials where he could just, just put time into people, just really buffer a lead in that. The only thing about Wood, though, is he got appendicitis recently, and I think he had to take like a week and a half of the, off the bike in June, uh, or sorry, May, yeah, which isn't great, or early June maybe. That's really not good for a buildup for a Tour de France, so I don't feel that great about uh, him there. He did just win the Belgian National Road Race Championships, which are like, the, that's like basically winning the World Championships. It's almost impossible to win, but I feel like he's so good he could win that, even if he's not in tip-top form. Where he can't hide that, though, is these long alpine climbs. Um, he's not a natural climber, really. And when you're, when you're kind of a bigger guy, a bigger time trialist, you have to just be so fit to climb well. Everything has to be clicking perfectly. We saw that with uh, Bradley Wiggins. When he was on, he was on. He could win the tour. But when he wasn't, he really could not climb. Um, and I kind of feel the same about Woot, where things would have to really line up perfectly for him. But um, he could be in shape. You know, that's more just my my kind of reading the tea leaves and thinking he won't be that fit. Something to touch on is the route isn't great. Um, it's great from a stage by stage perspective. There's really, I only cl- count maybe three like traditional sprint stages, which is really crazy. Um, that's a really small number. 
But it is great for excitement because we're like in the age of one day riders who can sprint, climbers who can sprint, sprinters who can climb. Think like Matthew Vanderpool, Boot Van Aert, Peter Sagan. And those guys are going to be duking it out on these, uh, these two uphill finishes. They're going to be, you know, and we're also in a great point in cycling where the GC guys like Tade Pogacar and Primoz Roglic can mix it up on these stages too. You know, it's like everyone's converging in the middle, it feels like, where everything used to be so specialized, where you had, you know, a rote sprinter like Mark Cavendish and then a GC rider like Chris Froome, who would never challenge for, for sprint stages or anything but a mountain stage or a time trial and would certainly never win a one-day race, and Cavendish, who gets dropped like on a highway overpass. So everything's kind of converging in the middle right now, and it's, it's like a very exciting time. And this is the perfect tour to highlight that, where it's a lot of tough stages instead of sprint stages they've replaced them with some tough stages and then um maybe unfortunately instead of the summit finishes they have a lot of mountain stages that finish on downhills the reason they do this is it's money it's kind of a boring answer but you can get paid uh, you get paid by a town to start the race there and you get paid by a town to finish the race there every time you do a summit finish you're just taking a monetary hit because you're finishing on a mountaintop in the middle of nowhere so no one's going to pay you for that so if you want money you got to finish in a town towns tend to be not on the top of mountains so the tour is just like blindly chasing money here it kind of it, it it's good and bad it's good because it will keep um, keep the race from blowing up on, you know, you won't have like Tadej Pogacar exploding the race on summit finishes, or at least not too many of them. But it's bad in that um, guys won't really attack on these final climbs because you're not going to put a ton, you're not going to invest a ton of energy into attacking. And I should say, I should uh, say, uh, qualify this with stage eight of last year. If you remember, Tadej Pogacar attacked on a climb. Had like a 40 second gap by the top and then just ripped the descent and had like a minute by the end of the stage, maybe, or maybe it was like 50 seconds. So it does happen, but it's less likely because it's a lot of energy. You, you not only have to get to the top of the climb, you have to survive up and over the descent um, where the group is going to have you know, a huge advantage on you. So it really disincentivizes, de-incentivizes attacking, which isn't good. Um, it's great if you're Primus Roglic though, if you can just stack time and time trials and kind of the downhill finishes defend the race for you, uh, it actually works in his favor incredibly well. Uh, it's not great for, for Tadej Pogacar. He's a good time trialist. He's not as good as Primus Roglic. The numbers bear that out, even though he whooped his butt at Slovenia national time trial championships and uh, famously that tour time trial. I don't think he's just consistently the best time trialist in the world though. He's pretty good. He's probably not better than Roglic. So this isn't great for Bogachar. Um, it, he is good enough that he could break the race up on some of these like medium hard stages. Uh, but it, it kind of sets us, sets us up for a little bit of a boring GC battle, but who this, this, this also helps Ineos because they, they're in a real pickle here because they have a strong team. They do not have the strongest rider in the race, um, e- even by a long shot. Uh, Garrett Thomas reminds me of like 2009 Lance Armstrong, where he was good. He, he could time trial pretty well, but not as good as Alberto Contador. He could climb pretty well, but not as good as Alberto Contador. And he just kind of leaked time. Like he stole some time. I believe that was like stage seven, maybe um, in 2009, the, the crosswind stage. He stole like 35 seconds on Contador. Uh, he had the team time trial. He, he missed the yellow jersey by like a fraction of a second. And then Contador was just kind of like chipping away at him the whole time. He'd take a little bits of time on summit finishes and, and crushed him in the final time trial. So 
I think we're at that stage of Garrett Thomas's career. But where I do think things get interesting is uh, someone like Richard Carapaz, who is a really good racer, just like has a great nose for racing, great bike handler, doesn't crash often, if ever. If Ineos really consolidated, I'll, I'll tell you what could happen if they wanted to. They could really put try to put Pogachar and Roglic, um, or at least isolate them, maybe not put them under pressure personally, but isolate them and put them in difficult positions on some of these medium hard stages, which we get a lot of. Um, I think if they could, if they could shred the field, that ha- but the, to do this they have to consolidate behind someone, which they're not doing. They're actually doing the opposite, where they're refusing to consolidate behind anyone, which is going to cause a lot of problems. We'll get into that in a second. But if they did consolidate um, and they just shredded Yumbo and UAE. They could start attacking those guys one by one. They could send Richie Port up the road, send Garrett Thomas up the road, and just be like, well, who, who, who are you going to chase here? You know, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. It actually probably would happen is Pogachar would say, you want to me- like, you, you mess around? Like, uh, see you later. Like, I'm dropping you. I'll see you at the finish because he's just that strong. Same with Roglic. Um, but Roglic is susceptible to, if you can isolate him, you can kind of put him under, under a little bit of pressure as. Usually, though, he has to crash, um, and he does crash a little bit more often than the average rider, uh, which does present an opportunity. You know, think of uh, the 2019 Giro. He he was icy. He had a weak team. He had a bad bad director, bad coach. They they would leave him isolated. Like one time, like the uh, the team car pulled over to take pisses, and then he crashed, and he couldn't get a bike. Uh, not very not a great situation. Kind of unprofessional on the director's part. Just peeing a bottle. What are you doing? But if you can, you can rattle his cage a little bit like that. Pogachar, it's a little less obvious how that's possible because he is not only probably one of the best riders in the world, he is seemingly unshakable. <laughs> you can't really get in his head. He never really crashes. He never really puts a foot wrong. Uh, the only time I've seen it is Tour of the Basque Country when he stayed with his teammate, Brandon McNulty, who was in the leader's jersey. That will not be happening at this tour, though. I can guarantee you that. So, that is kind of the roadmap for Ineos. It's not clear if it can be done because they refuse to name a leader. They have four guys who could be their leaders, Teo Gigenhart, Garrett Thomas, Richard Carapaz, Richie Port, and they just kind of said like, yeah, we're going to see how it goes. Um, doesn't really work. You kind of always think it's going to work. It doesn't really work because you know, they got away with it in 2019 where Garrett Thomas was probably their leader and uh, Egan Bernal was plan B. But the, Bernal could not attack. He kind of got held back by the team. He bailed them out on stage 19 by getting enough time on one of the big mountain passes before the race was called off due to weather, but that really could have gone another way. Um, and if you can just go back and watch that race, maybe I'll put something together, maybe like in the off season or something. There's like key points where Bernal doesn't take time because he's conflicted about what to do with Garrett Thomas. And you have Garrett Thomas chasing him after he's dropped, pulling other people back up to him. Uh, it's really not a good situation to be. You probably want to have one or two leaders. Like if Yumbo just said, "Woo, we're going to keep you high up in the GC to play you as a wild card," you know that's. As, I don't think you want any. You don't want the Trident. Movistar is, has shown us over the past eight years, nine years, ten years that the Trident is terrible. The three leader thing does not work, and it just leads to kind of comical misunderstandings and like infighting on the road. It never works. Um, so yeah, I don't think four leaders is going to work any better than that. Probably just be even worse because it's not only that you have four leaders, you're just taking away domestiques every time you tell someone they could kind that maybe be a leader because you only have eight riders total. If you have one, one leader, you have seven guys working for that eight, for the eighth rider. 
But if you have four leaders, then you have four people left to work. That's not that many, you know. I uh, think if they want to do a sky train, what are they going to do? Or a mountain train, you know, who's going to pull for whom? You know, what if Richie Port's pulling for Garrett Thomas and he drops Garrett Thomas? Because he's stronger than Garrett Thomas. What's he going to do? Is he going to wait for him? Is he going to attack him? Is he just going to leave him? Uh, so, yeah, the whole thing seems like a mess. Um, kind of ever since it's pretty tragic. Uh, they had this great director sportive, um, really cool head, Nico Portal, Nicolas Portal. He died of a heart attack, pretty young age. I think he was like 41 years old. But the team has not been as well organized since he passed away. Um, I think they haven't, I don't think they've won a tour de France since he passed away. And I think, I don't think that's unrelated. Uh, th- this would never have happened when he was around. I mean, this is kind of a mess. I'm surprised they're, they're going public with just kind of like, yeah, we don't really have a leader. We're just going to like have four guys that are pretty good. When, when, if they did consolidate, I thought if they consolidated behind Port and Carapaz, they might have a shot here. But it seems like they don't want to offend uh, their two British leaders, Garrett Thomas and Teo Gigginhart, um, which is kind of disappointing. Um, I love Carapaz. He's, he's one of my favorite riders. And kind of sad to see him stuck on this team where he can't really be named a leader because it's going to offend homegrown riders. What if we step back for a second and think like, how is this race going to be? How is this tour going to unfold? Uh, just like overall big picture strategy wise. It's not completely obvious because normally um, the team of the strongest rider has the strongest team. Uh, so let's just say, you know, think of Primoz Roglic last year with Jumbo Visma. They were the strongest team. So they were on the front pretty much from stage one, uh, just welded the race together, kept it together until the final. And then Primoz Roglic would try to, try to take time bonuses. It ended up blowing up their faces and helping Tadej Pogacar win the race overall. So they, they, they do not have, they are not as strong this year. I don't know what's going on, but they are kind of a, a hot mess this year. Really, I mean, Sepkus is probably strong enough to work for Roglic, but he won't be with them in the hardest parts of the race if he's riding like he's been riding for so far this year. Um, and Woot Van Aert could be strong, could not. We don't really know how he's going to be after that appendicitis. It's not a great situation for them. And in the strongest team, Ineos, um, what they don't really have an incentive to work. You know, maybe they might work out of habit. It, it, there's going to be a power vacuum at the top here. I, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen. Ineos can only be so passive though, because if they get behind in these early hilly stages, where I almost guarantee you, Roglic and Pogachar are going to take time on the Ineos riders, and they'll probably take time on them as well in the time trial. They have to take time somewhere. They can't just be passive and then lose the race by four minutes. So they have to try something. Um, but the problem is if they if they pull back the breakaway, they're just going to gift time bonuses to Primoz Roglic. The only proven way to really take time bonuses away from Roglic is just to let the breakaway win, um, which I think they'll try to do. It's going to be tough for the you know they're going to have to walk this line between. You know, kind of making the race a passive race and letting them break it up the road, while also making the race hard enough to isolate Pogachar and Roglic and try to get, you know, put time into them somewhere. Because if they just wait for the time trials in the mountain stages, yeah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> They're all going to get dropped by these guys. These guys are freaking fast. Um, think of Mark Poudon at the Dauphiné. Poudon smoked him, smoked Ineos' best riders, and Poudon's not as fast as Pogachar. So, kind of an issue there. I, I, it's not clear to me how they, how they solved that riddle. Um, one thing to think about, though, and this kind of takes us, as, us into the next um, little segment, is the green jersey battle. Um, if you remember last year, that it was a pretty, pretty epic, pretty great battle between Peter Sagan and Sam Bennett. 
And it really shaped the, even the GC race because the stages were so hard from the gun. It was really like every day there was a race within a race where Bora would try to drop Sam Bennett early on so they could take mid-stage uh, bonus points. And they would just rip it for the first like hour. Like they were doing at first hours and like 30, like covering 34 miles in the first hour of races and then doing four more hours after that. Uh, that's absurdly hard. Uh, that's probably not going to happen this year. It's not totally out because Sam Bennett's not coming to the race. He wasn't selected by his Dakota quick step, quick step team. Mark Cavendish is going in his place. Cavendish is not, you know, Cavendish probably won't win a stage, probably won't even get close to winning a stage. And he will definitely not be battling for the green Jersey. Doesn't have the versatility to do that in this modern age of cycling. So it's not clear to me who's going to challenge Sagan in this green Jersey competition. Um, Matthew Vanderpool would be the obvious person to do that, but he isn't going to finish this race. I think he's going to pull out the second rest day to prepare for the Olympic mountain bike race. I mean, he said that he's pulling out. This isn't me like breaking news. And then Woot Van Aert, I think, is going to get stuck on GC duty. Either he's working for Roglic, he won't have the freedom and energy to chase mid-stage bonus points. Um, and even if like Roglic crashes out, I think Woot could be riding for GC for himself. I think he's Yumbo's plan B. So, so he definitely won't be be able to challenge for the green jersey so it's not quite sure where that challenge is going to come from I mean, maybe sonny cabrelli he's he's had a great year so far he's kind of gone from i thought like a c-grade sprinter someone who never could win a really really competitive bunch sprint to someone who kept that he's kept that speed but he can climb now like really well he's been riding incredibly well so far this year um he's he's really broken out as you know as someone could win on on these on these hard stages you know like a you know, almost like a a Peter Sagan light or like a Matthew Vanderpool light because he is quite fast. You know, we're at the recent uh, Tour of Romandie. He he only walked away with one stage win, but he had three second runners up where um, where breakaways foiled him on those days. So he is certainly flying right now. Um, it just really comes down to do we think at 31 years old he's really you know broken out enough to take like body blows all day every day from Peter Sagan's Bora team because Bora has proven that even though they're bringing Wilco Kelderman and Emmanuel Bookman for GC, that they're willing to expend quite a bit of energy um, to, to make the race hard for other, you know, quote-unquote sprinters on, on kind of more difficult days to put them under pressure and steal bonus points. So in short, um, I, I guess that the green, you always have to consider the, the battle for green when it comes to, you know, how, how is it going to affect the overall GC battle? But it's just not completely clear to me that there is, a, a, you know, a rival looming out there. You have Caleb Ewan, but this is a tough tour for Ewan. There's there's not a ton of stages for him. You know, maybe there's three or four stages where he can really compete for the win, but you know, he's not the type of rider who's gonna be out there duking it out on mountain stages, trying to get, you know, up and over the first climb to get to get into a valley and steal bonus sp sprint points there. That's just not who he is. You know, if anything, he could not finish this race. You know, he really struggles in the high mountains. You know, he could have a tough time in the Alps and the Pyrenees, the Pyrenees in the third week and not make it. So, you know, you can't even guarantee that he'll finish the race. So I don't think he'll be competing for the green jersey. Um, Mark Cavendish, I guess we should mention the two baiting stars of this race, Mark Cavendish and Chris Froome. It's amazing Cavendish is even here. I thought we had seen the last of him at the tour, really at any high level professional bike racing. But he's had a pretty good comeback year this year. Um, he's not going to win a stage. I, I would be duly impressed if he did. You know, even at his best, the sport is so different now. Um, he's got the guys like Woot Van Aert who can climb, can sprint so fast. And 
you know, you don't get a lot of these flat stages you used to get. So it's it's going to be it'd be tough for him in the best of times. It's going to be really tough for him here. Um, you know, maybe he might be able to challenge on two or three stages. Um, if he gets to the Champs Elysees on the final stage, you know, that could be decent for him. But he just doesn't have the the flat speed of Caleb Ewan, and he doesn't have the strength of you know even Sonny Cabrelli. Certainly not Wout Van Aert, Peter Sagan, or Matthew Vanderpool. So I think he's just going to be along for the ride in these sprints. And Chris Froome will, you know, that that's going to be a catastrophe. I touched on that last week in the podcast that going as the road captain, he's going to get, he, he might, he's going to be dropped in these first opening stages, um, not to even mention the mountain stages. So uh, he won't even be able to figure in for a stage win. Um, I think he'll be fighting to, to make the time cut in a lot of these mountain stages. But the opening weekend is, is going to be really exciting. It's actually going to be one of the most exciting opening weekends I can remember in a long time. I think Matthew Vanderpool wins stage one. He's terrible with position. I've kind of like ragged on him about it all year. Um, I think he'll be wildly out of position going into that final climb and then win win the stage. You know, he'll, we we saw this uh, like a mini version of this at Torino Adriatico, where him and Julian Alaphilippe and Vanart were duking it out on the opening stages. It's going to be the exact same thing here. The only wrinkle is the only thing I, I'm wondering about is. You know, what is Jumbo going to do with Wout Van Aert? Are they going to let him try to win these stages or are they going to try to get Roglic in second or third and take uh, time bonus seconds? So um, it's not totally clear to me what Jumbo is going to do um, because if Wout's winning these stages, you know, I guess that's taking the time bonus from someone else. But, you know, Roglic could be podium, podium these opening stages. So that's going to be a tough calculus for them to do. I'm not, you know, I'll be really interested to see what happens there. Um, and even, you know, he's going to need to be with Roglic at the end of these stages. They don't have anyone else strong enough who can kind of pilot Roglic through the chaos that is definitely going to be happening at the end of these first couple stages. Um, so I, I, yeah, I wouldn't, I, I don't feel great about Wout Van Aert winning these. I think, you know, physically he could win even Muda, Muda Britannia. He's strong enough to get up and over that climb, but I think Vanderpool wins the opening stage. Stage He's winning, uh, here he's wearing, his team is wearing the same jersey as uh, his grandfather, Raymond Pudador, who is like a beloved French tour. I believe he never won. I think he got second three times. Um, they're winning. They're wearing replica jerseys from um, him, which is very cool. Uh, they look. They look fantastic. What a great callback. What a crazy thing to have a former like tour legend's grandson be at the race. And he's racing his first tour, by the way. He's 26 years old. Never raced the Tour de France. Pretty crazy. Kind of bizarre. Uh, but he is. If he wants to, he could win. You know, the majority of these opening week stages, he's he's that good. Um, he does kind of struggle in regular, you know, big bunch finishes. He, he's not, you know, great with handling in there. But there's actually might not be. There might be two or three in this opening week, and then the rest are just going to be, you know, hard stages for him to try to snipe. And even if he's bad, even if he's out of position on this opening stage, he could win that, and he could win stage two. Even my personal pick is Primoz Roglic to win Muda Britannia. Uh, that has him written all over it. He is fast too. People people underestimate how explosive Roglic is. We saw at that Vuelta he won last year. That you know even you know even against uphill sprinters on short well, one kilometer climbs, he can he can win those stages. He is a strong dude. Um, he's pretty fast for. For a GC rider, so don't count them out on this opening weekend. If you want to support the podcast, you can sign up for the newsletter at beyondthepeloton.substack.com. There's a free weekly edition that is a no-brainer. If you like the podcast, you'll you'll love the newsletter. It kind of just goes more in depth on a few of the topics we touch on here. And there's a paid edition that comes out daily during Grand Tours. So for the Tour de France coming up, that is perfect for that. 
You'll get uh, daily breakdowns, little uh, GIFs, images, videos about uh, how the race was won, what the heck happened. Um, a lot of people, I mean, who, who can watch every race of the tour? People have jobs, people are busy. It's great if you want to keep up with what exactly is going on without actually having to watch the races. Uh, Beyond the Peloton, watching pro cycling, so you don't have to. And you can sign up for that at beyondthepeloton.substack.com. There's a link in the show notes. All right, well, I'll be checking in early next week to debrief after this opening weekend, which I'm sure is going to change everything we just talked about. We're going to have a wildly different GC landscape, and we'll have a few exciting stages under our belt, hopefully. So uh, happy watching, and I hope you have a great weekend.